Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. That was so fun. It like was all excited and then chatter, and then all of a sudden it just got quiet. It was like, whoa, cool. So glad that you're here together in person today as well as joining us online. I just want to say to PG and Darlene, phenomenal job with VBS and last Sunday's service was amazing. It was powerful. I told PG last week, I said, PG, number one, you're anointed, right? God has anointed you to do what you do. Amen? Yeah, it's good. I said, secondly, like, you love God, and you love his word, and you're instilling it in the lives of these kids, and you love the kids here, and so I just love how you are anointed, that you love God's word, that you teach it to our kids, and you love these kids like no other, and I said, then on top of all of that, you are hilarious, absolutely hilarious. I laughed Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then again on Sunday morning. And so if you missed last week's family service, I would encourage you to watch it on YouTube or uh, on Facebook or somewhere. Find it. It was amazing. Make sure if your kids missed it, that your kids watch it with you. And with that said, listen, I know that last week wasn't for everybody. And so if you're one of those people and you're like, it definitely wasn't for me. Can I say something to you? Thank you for not making it about you. Thank you for not making it about you. Thanks for making it about the next generation. And I'm just telling you that as our church continues to invest in and leverage every bit of influence that we have for the next generation, God's going to continue to build his church and advance his kingdom. Amen? Cool. That was a week. It was so weak. I'm just telling you it was a week. Like, there is nothing more valuable to us as a church than the next generation. And so that's much better. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question here in just a moment, and I'm just telling you, I'm giving you advance warning. There is no right or wrong answer, and it's not a trick question, but it does require a response. So when I ask you the question, I'm just going to ask that you would raise your hand if it defines you or describes you, or you would point to your neighbor if, uh, if it describes or defines your neighbor. So again, I'm just telling you, I'm not setting you up. It's not a trick question. It's not even a difficult question. So here's the question. When something breaks at your house, who fixes it? Okay, cool. Uh, it, what I saw was agreement in this room. Like, that was fun. Like, I didn't see somebody look at the other person and be like, yeah, right, I'm the one who fixes it, right? I didn't see any disagreement there. When something breaks in our house, generally, I'm the one who fixes it. And uh, last week, there was something that I was up against and trying to fix it, and I called a friend of mine, and he said, you know that you have a job and that you get paid and that you can hire somebody to fix something And if you do that, you fixed it. I was like, I like the way you think. I did that. I fixed that. Some of you, your minds are blown. You're like, I'm never doing another thing again. I'm just going to have it fixed. There are times when I know my limits. My son, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, came up to me and he's like, Dad, I've got this leak in my car and can you look at it? So I did what any good person would do. Pop your hood, 
pop the hood, I look at it, and I go, son, I agree with you. You got a leak there. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do anything about it. I have the first, I have the first clue what to do uh, with this deal. So we did what we do. We paid for somebody else to fix it. My daughter said that the washing machine was broken, and so she Googled these codes, and there were two different options. One was easy. One was hard. I tried the easy option first. Who wouldn't, right? You can't fault me for that. And, of course, that didn't fix it. And so then uh, went to the second option, which said that the motherboard was fried, and, and so took the motherboard out and took it to a friend's house who knows how to work a soldering iron, and he put a soldering bead there. I came home put the washing machine back together, turned it on, invited my daughter to come check it out. She looked at it, and it worked. And I'm just telling you, oh, I have never gotten a hug that big from my daughter in my entire life is what I did for fixing her washing machine. When things are broken, we're sometimes able to fix them, and, or sometimes we take it to other people to fix. And sometimes when things are broken, they're just not able to be fixed. Right? Sometimes even the cost of repairing something is more than just buying something new. And if we move from objects for a moment and talk about humans, the question could be, can humans be repaired? Can humans experience healing? Some of you are living proof that humans can be repaired. Yes, some of you are being held together by bionic parts right now. There are artificial knees and hips that enabled you to come into this room today, right? You made it up the stairs strong and smiling or came up the elevator, right? But what about the soul and mind and relationships, marriages, or even our nation? I want us to turn to 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 this morning. We're going to read this passage, and we're going to see a story in the Bible where both a body and a soul were healed. I've called this message, We Can Do Better, We Can Do Better. So 2 Kings chapter 5, it's going to appear on the screen. I'm just telling you, there are going to be some details in this story that maybe some of you have never seen before. I'll just tell you that in preparation for this message, that there were things that, that came to light that I had never seen in this passage. And so I just encourage you, pay attention to the details as we read through this, and then we'll break it down. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches, you know that I sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. 
Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. But his servants came near to him and said, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word, for the power that it has to transform our lives. God, we ask that you would help us that you would open up our eyes to see, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The first verse in this passage states that Naaman was physically sick. He suffered from leprosy, and this was a feared and dreaded diagnosis. It was a diagnosis that no one wanted to hear. In some ways, it would be the equivalent of today receiving a cancer diagnosis, but the biggest difference is there were social ramifications of a leprosy diagnosis. In fact, one writer describes the disease in detail and says, ancient leprosy began as a small red spot on the skin. Before too long, the spots got bigger and started to turn white with sort of a shiny or scaly appearance. Pretty soon, the spots spread all over the whole body and hair began to fall out. I do not have leprosy. Just point that out. First from the head and then from the eyebrow. See, I'm good. As things got worse, fingernails and toenails became loose. They started to rot and eventually fall off. Then the joints of fingers and toes began to rot and fall off piece by piece. Gums began to shrink and they couldn't hold the teeth anymore, so each of them was lost. Leprosy kept eating away at the face until literally the nose, the palate, and even the eyes rotted and the victim wasted away until death. And this was the diagnosis that Naaman had. Naaman was a mighty warrior and he was a powerful man. He had everything going for him until he faced the diagnosis of leprosy. And this is the thing about sickness and disease that even today, it's no respecter of person. Naaman was a big, powerful man. He had all the wealth in the world, but he had leprosy and he had, was faced with the social stigma that went with it. And in the same passage, you can contrast that with the Hebrew servant girl. She was weak and had virtually no status in the Assyrian culture. Verse number two tells us that she was actually the spoils of war. It says, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She was a captive, a servant, a youth, and a girl, but she didn't have leprosy. Naaman was rich and powerful but had an incurable disease. She was weak and powerless, but she had her health. This passage is filled with drama and irony. And think about even this one piece. There's this servant girl who at one time lived free. She once lived free with her family until an army came and ripped her from her home and is now the personal servant of Naaman's wife. And in verse number three, she said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he could cure him of his leprosy. I want to point out just a couple of things right here, right now in this. And here's the first, is she kept her faith while she was in captivity. 
She kept her faith while she was in captivity. There's not much said about this gal in the Bible, but I bet in kindergarten, if there was a class like we would have experienced in kindergarten where they say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I guarantee you that in her kindergarten class, she didn't say, one day when I grow up, I hope that I've been uh, a spoil of war and that I've lived in captivity and that I'm the servant to Naaman's wife. It, it, It could go without saying, but her life did not end up as she dreamed that it would go. She didn't get her way. Yet when she was dealt the hand she was dealt, she didn't lose faith. She remained faithful to the one who remained faithful to her. Can I just tell you, life's not always going to go our way. For those of you who have your hope in a political party, your party's not always going to win. For those of you who have your hope in your retirement and you hope that your retirement is just going to continue to climb, I don't have to tell you, ha, you're not always going to win. I don't say that, ha, like we all feel that, right? For those of you who, uh, I'm just about to repeat what I was just going to say, so instead I'm just going to go to what I actually have here. There was a comedian one time, I have no idea, uh, all the context, I don't remember who it was, but he was talking about how his son would not finish what he started. And so one day he looked at his boy and he said, boy, you got a lot of quit in you. As I look at the state of the American church, I think the same words could be said. When things get tough, I'm out. Someone hurt my feelings. I'm out. The preacher didn't do or say or did say or whatever. I'm out. The church has a lot of quit in her. I'm just telling you, we can be better. We can remain faithful. The next thing that's just mind-boggling in the flesh about this passage is she believes God can heal the very man who led an army to take her from her home and rob her of the freedom and all that she knew. I'm going to say that again. She believes God can heal. The, not only does, she, does she, her faith remain, but she believes God can heal the very man who led an army to take her from her home and rob her of her freedom and all she knew. Not only does she verbalize, uh, believe this, she verbalizes it. This nameless servant girl dares to make a suggestion and she spoke up to offer encouragement to her oppressor. And in the natural, this is crazy. None of us without a spiritual lens or filter would do it this way. Instead, probably in the flesh, we would pray that the disease would spread rapidly and that he would die a long, painful death for doing what he did. In our hearts, we would know that Jesus could bring healing, but in the flesh, we would not want our oppressor to receive it. So the man who has it all, all the power, all the resource, can't fix his own physical condition. And the young gal who literally has nothing except for knowledge and faith in God. And so she tells her oppressor's wife that if he could just get to this prophet, that he would be healed. What a response. When her life had not gone the way that she had hoped, her faith remained strong. Not only did her faith remain strong, her love for God and also for people remained strong. So Naaman, desperate to try anything, goes to the king of Syria and tells him what the girl says. The king tells him to go and that he would send a letter to the king of Israel. And so Naaman takes literally a chariot load of gold and silver and 10 changes of clothes. 
Now, I have no idea if these, are, if these clothes are from Kohl's or if they're Gucci, right? Like, I have no idea, so I can't even begin to pretend to put an estimate on what 10 changes of clothes cost. But I did look at the footnotes in my Bible and look at the weight and then did the, the how much, whatever, silver sells for and gold sells for. Now, and here's the equivalent. To put this in perspective, the silver was worth $191,250, the gold was worth $3,894,000. Over $4 million, Naaman did what we try to do, find people of power and throw a lot of money at it. And the king of Israel reads this letter and he freaks out. He says, does he think I'm God or something? I, I can't heal this man of leprosy. He thinks the king of Syria is seeking a quarrel with him, and here's another layer of irony. The Syrians were not known for their faith in God. Israel had a long story and history with God. And so look at this. Someone from the outside has the faith to believe, but the very king of Israel doesn't. And Elisha catches wind of this, and he tells the king not to worry. And in verse number eight, he says, let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. When Naaman, this powerful, rich commander, comes to Elisha, Elisha doesn't even go out to greet him. Elisha sent a messenger to tell him what to do, and he tells him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times and that your flesh will be restored and you'll be clean. This is huge. If he's healed and cleansed, then he'll be restored back to community again. And in his mind, he thinks it's going to happen one way, and it doesn't, and he gets angry, and he says he's angry. He says, I thought Elisha would come out and greet me personally, that he would wave his magic hands, read it, that he would wave his magic hands over my sores and that I would be healed. He said, I don't want to dip in the dirty Jordan River. If dipping in the river is what could have brought healing then why couldn't, uh, and make me clean, then why couldn't I just dip in the rivers of Syria that are crystal clear? And verse number 12 says, he turned away and went away in rage. So let me just rewind this story so you can hear the details of this again. A Syrian commander named Naaman led a raid in Israel. They carried off this little girl from Israel as a spoil of war. She keeps her faith and in captivity tells her master's wife that there's a prophet named Elisha in the land of Israel that can heal her husband. He takes with him over $4 million in gold and silver back into the land that he had led a raid in and plundered before and asks a man for healing from the very people that he had taken away from. And now this prophet Elisha tells him, you've come all this way. And all you need to do is dip in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed and cleansed. You got all that? And Naaman is enraged. This brings me to our next point. We need people in our lives. Amen? We need people in our lives. Naaman lost perspective and because of it, he almost missed out on his miracle. He had some people around him that were loving and courageous enough to confront him and back him down off the ledge. They said to him, Naaman, you brought over $4 million. You're willing to bring $4 million to experience your healing. And if he would have asked you to do something difficult, you would have done it. They said, didn't he tell you to do something relatively easy? And then gently, they said, come on, Naaman. Put your hurt feelings aside. 
and just go do it. How many times are we like Naaman? God, I feel distant from you. What should I do? And the prophet says, spend time with God in prayer and reading the Bible and the feeling of closeness will be restored. And our response is, well, that's stupid. That requires too much work. I don't like that answer. Can you just wave a magic wand so that closeness can be restored again? My personal finances are a mess and I just can't seem to get ahead. God, what should I do? The word of God says to honor him with your tithe, 10% of your first fruits of your income and you'll be blessed. And your response is, that's stupid. I don't like that answer. Can you just wave a magic money wand? Let it grow on trees for me? God, my marriage is a mess. What should I do? Pray and get some counseling. That's stupid. Can't you just wave a magic wand and, and make it better? God, our nation is a mess. What should we do? In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Yeah, that's dumb too. That requires too much. Walk in humility, yeah, right. Pray, no thanks. Who has time for that? Turn from my wickedness, no thanks. I'm having a great time. Can't you just, make, can't you just wave your magic wand and make it better? And like Naaman, when God doesn't respond the way we thought he should, then we get angry. And we need people in our lives that have the courage to point us back to what the prophet says. We need people who, when our feelings have been hurt, who don't add fuel to the fire. We need people who will point us back to what God says in his word and then do what it says. Naaman swallowed his pride and he put his hurt feelings to the side and dipped in the water seven times. And verse number 14 says that his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. And in verse number 15, we didn't read it, I'll read it right now, here's what it says. Then he returned to the man of God and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in, is but in Israel. God didn't stop with Naaman's physical condition, he continued to heal his spiritual condition. Physical healing without heart transformation only delays the eternal suffering. In that day, Naaman received his physical healing and became a child of God. And in verse number 15, he becomes a believer. He said, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but the God of Israel. What a powerful story of God's power filled with irony and unexpected twists and turns and complexity. And what an incredible conclusion to that segment and that passage of Scripture. An enemy was viewed as a human. Compassion was extended to an enemy, and the end result was that someone got healed and saved. An enemy was viewed as a human, and compassion was extended to an enemy, and the end result was that someone got healed and saved. And when I view the complexities of this story, it inspires me to want to do better, and I hope that it inspires all of us to want to do better. I want to want to pray for the health and the salvation of those who offend me, right? This Friday news came out that Roe versus Wade was overturned, and I'm going to share some thoughts here and, and let you know where our church stands on this as well. But in light of this passage this morning, the takeaways that I, I, I think we can take away from this is that we can all do better. One way that we can do better is by humanizing people. At the end of the day, whatever side you're on, we're all imperfect human beings that were created in the image of God. And we've spent the last eight or nine weeks, of, uh, a few weeks ago, in our Unearthed series talking about this. 
And God extends an invitation to every sinful human being. And may I remind you that all of us fall into that category. He extends an invitation for all of us to confess our sins to him. And he says he's faithful and just to forgive us. The servant girl's humanization of Naaman led to his physical healing and the salvation of his soul. And I think sometimes we forget that people are people. And at the end of this life, all of us will be ushered into a real heaven or a real hell, and people's eternities are at stake. So let's not forget that people who think different than us are human beings made in the image of God. Next, Naaman sought healing with his connections, with his money, and ultimately went to an earthly king to fix a problem that earthly solutions couldn't fix. And at the beginning of this message, I asked, who's the fix-it person in your house? We have a sin problem in our nation, and personally, we can't fix it. We might be able to slow it down with legislation, but it doesn't fix the heart. Jesus fixes the heart. And I have to believe that some of the culpability for the 63 million babies that have been aborted is on us. For years, the standard of holiness has been lowered, and we've justified the entertainment that we consume, the TV shows that we watch, the movies that we go to, the music that we listen to that celebrates and normalizes sexual immorality of all forms. And again, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. God, help us be better at humbling ourselves before you. Let us get better at approaching the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, forgive us of our wicked ways. Give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Next, we can get better at pointing people to the word of God. I'm just telling you that as a church, this is where we're going to keep coming back to on all issues. There's no new revelation that's better. The word of God still is the rule and the God and the instruction manual for our life, and it's still relevant for us today. In fact, as we look at the story of 2 Kings chapter 5, you felt the complexity of that story. I guarantee you, if there's breath in your lungs this morning and you were paying attention, you felt, you felt the tension in that story of what happened. You can't tell me that's not relevant to our lives even today. Naaman got angry with Elisha's instructions and the delivery, but his friends didn't talk about their feelings with him. They didn't talk about their political affiliations or the talking points they had heard from their selective news channels. Instead, they pointed him back to what the prophet said. In times like this, we need to point people back to what the word of God says. Because ultimately, pointing people towards God and his word is what will bring about healing. And so I find myself in a moment in history where people are weighing in on the subject of abortion and it's complex. And I know some of you, even with that statement right there, you bristle and you're like, it's not complex, it's straightforward. Can I propose to you that it's complex? And just because something's complex doesn't mean that there still isn't a right or wrong answer. You can acknowledge that an issue, you can acknowledge the issue's complexity and still recognize whether it's ultimately right or wrong based on the standards set for us in the Bible. And one day history will judge the actions of our generation, but more importantly, one day God will judge the actions of our generation. So in the complexity of, of it all, as I look to the word of God, not my feelings, not a political party, from Genesis to Revelation, we see that human beings are not self-created, they're God-created. Jeremiah tells us that he knit us together in our mother's womb, and Genesis tells us that we are made in the very image of God. 
God's placed so much value on life and uh, on this life and also the next that he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross for us that we could have forgiveness of sins to spend eternity with him in heaven. In view of all of this, I point back to scripture and see that God places value on all humans at all stages of life. And I'll just tell you that he did this long before there was ever a nation called the United States of America and long before there was ever a Republican or Democratic party. There's no point in scripture where God parses out what constitutes a human life. As followers of Jesus, we should not mourn that human beings in the form of an unborn baby, the most vulnerable of all of our population, will be protected. We should celebrate. How can we look at the statistic that 63 million babies have been aborted in the past 50 years and somehow think that it's a good thing? If I'm going to err on a side of anything, I'm going to look past the rhetoric and I'm going to look at the word of God and leverage my voice and my influence for life. When somehow we've been sucked into an evil agenda that goes against the very nature of God, when we've lost perspective, we need to have people in our lives like Naaman that bring us back to what the word of God says and help us see clearly again. And so what can we do? We can keep praying. We can keep sharing the gospel boldly and believe for God to send a revival. We can pray that the blinders will be lifted off of eyes and for those who've bought into the lies of the enemy to be set free. We can give generously to kingdom builders to help meet the spiritual and the physical needs of people. For those of you here like, what's kingdom builders? Kingdom builders is our generosity strategy to fund global missions, local church expansion, and future Christian leaders. And over the past couple of years, we've partnered with organizations like the Des Moines Dream Center. We've partnered with agencies for foster care. We've partnered with Brimwood. In addition to that, as people have contacted the church with financial needs throughout the years, we've helped where we can and will continue to do so. Another kingdom builders partner is Alternatives. They have a satellite location here in our building. We give them the space for free, and we've given generously uh, to their organization. I talked with Megan Itiriaga this week on Friday. We were talking about this, and I said, listen, if, if you need anything, you let us know. And they made a decision on Friday to close this clinic because of threats that were being made around the nation. How sad is that? I told her, I said, you let us know whatever you need. We'll make it happen. We want to be there for families. We've been supporting, supporting families through this ministry and will continue. And we'll ramp up financially, do what we can to help meet the tangible needs of people. People are going to need more assistance moving forward. Let's be people who give generously and serve sacrificially. If you're wanting to volunteer either at this location or at the Waterloo location, I'd encourage you to Google Alternatives Pregnancy Center and go on their website. They have an application process and you can volunteer with them. If you wanted to help financially, you can drop your check or cash in the box and just market Kingdom Builders on it. As you give generously, it'll enable us to say yes to more people in the days and the weeks ahead. If you or your family or friends find yourself with an unwanted pregnancy, I beg you, please come to us. You'll be met with love and we'll work to provide as much support as possible and connect you with available resources. In the days ahead and the rest of our lives, can we be people who love one another? May we be people who speak the truth in love, but before we speak the truth in love, could we do what James chapter 119 tells us? To be people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I preached a wedding yesterday in Des Moines. 
in his many weddings do, read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I just think as we wrap up our time and our thoughts on this, I just wanna read this passage. It's not gonna appear on the screen, and so just let it soak into your spirit this morning. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We've had road construction outside of our house. I can imagine that that's what this is talking about. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. May we be people who get better at loving God and loving the very people that were made in his image. Listen, I know this is a heavy message and for some these words have been hard to hear. There might be some of you who decide to leave this faith community as a result of it and I just wanna tell you I love you and I pray God's blessings over your life. And if the day comes when you're ready to come back, I'm just gonna tell you, you're gonna find a church with open arms to welcome you back. We have an obligation to remain faithful to the scripture, to love God and to love people, to give generously and to serve sacrificially until he comes. And as we do, this truth will prevail and love will win. The final powerful piece of Naaman's story was that he became a follower of Jesus. In all of the complexity, someone loved God and loved someone else enough to share the answer to his need. And I just wanna tell you this morning that God has given us every answer that we need. And we need believers who with humility will examine what the scripture says, not what a political party says on either side. Can, can I tell you, people don't need political talking points right now. Like we, we just need to dive into the word of God and we need to see what it says and have the courage with one another, especially as followers of Jesus, to just come back to it when we've lost perspective. God, open my eyes, remove the blinders, help me see in your word. As we look at the issues around the world, we don't have a, the power to wave this magic wand and fix everything, but we know who can fix it. Jesus can. Jesus changes everything. I'm gonna ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior and to forgive you of your sins. And you say today, on this day, I wanna become a follower of him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. Just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time, or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three, lift them up all across this room. Thank you, I see that hand. You can put it down. Are there others this morning? Let's all stand.
there was at least one hand that went up this morning of someone who needs to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who needs to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of you, each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning, I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you raise your hand, I would encourage you to text the word yes to 319-250-8998. We want to encourage you along in the decision that you've made today. Again, if you'll text the word yes to 319-250-8998. The prayer team's moving forward. They're going to be at both sides of the stage here. The worship team's going to lead us in a song. And if you want prayer for anything, I'd encourage you as soon as they begin singing that you would step out of your seat and come forward for that. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, and for the inspiration that we see even in 2 Kings chapter 5 from this little girl that inspires us to be and to do better. And so Lord, we pray that you would help us. We ask that you would guide us, that you would direct us, that through our lives that people would see the love of God living out of us. And so, Lord, I pray in the hours and the days and the weeks ahead as we have conversations around tables, as we talk with friends and family members, that you would help us to walk in humility, that you would help us to seek your face, that we would walk in purity and holiness before you. And God, we pray you would heal our land. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.